Where Murder Meets Mystery contains graphic and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, ghoul friends, let's take a walk down the street where Murder Meets Mystery, a podcast exploring the murderous, the mysterious, and everything that lies beyond the beyond. Howdy, ghoul friends. If you're new here, my name is Trevor, and she's Trevor. And I'm Trevor, and he's Trevor. We're and you're Trevor. watching Disney Channel. <laughs> Welcome! We're so Welcome. glad to have you back for another episode. <laughs> Why did you laugh at that? I don't know. When you laugh, Why do you want it? Laugh I laughed at it because of this. Welcome. No. <laughs> No. Trevor got a soundboard if you did it, if you missed that in the last episode. So yeah. he's been having fun with it. And well, uh, yeah, he, loves to, in, he loves to interrupt me with it. It's his favorite thing. Yeah. Now. Before we, before we do the episodes, I get it all out because the soundboard, I don't know how it works and I don't know what it means for like, if I own these sounds or whatever, I probably don't. So that's why I don't want to use it. Anyway, podcast. You own that, you own that part of it now. That's okay. I don't know. I would assume it's fine. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's get, can we get right into it? Because I have a lot. Is that okay? Uh, Yeah, no no major life updates. So everything's been kind of normal. So yeah, we just had Trevor's baby shower. It's fun. We did. It was great. I smoked a pork pork butt. Everybody said it was nice. You were about to say I smoked something else, and I was like, when No, I smoked a pork butt, oh, okay. It's very exciting. It was delicious. Yes. It was good. Yep. Grace was there. We had a great time. But, yeah, I mean, if you're ready to jump into it, I'm ready to jump into it. Okay. All right. So, you are going to be very confused if you don't listen to episode 60, whatever that is, 63. Yep, 63. So you're going to have to go ahead and stop listening to this one and go to episode 63. Otherwise, you're not going to have any idea who I'm talking about. Okay. Stop so it. Don't feel left out. Just go. Yeah, I mean, Remember I'll do episode. I'll do like little fill-ins here and there. But like for the most part, I'm going to be just like picking up where the last one left off. So Dylan, Joe, and Victor were some suspects that we talked about last week. They were brought yeah. in for interrogation. They all lived in the same house. Yeah, maybe I should give a little background. Okay, hold on. So, I mean, go, go friends, if you don't remember. Yeah, we're going to continue talking about the murder of Robert Wan today. Um, and his, basically, Robert Wan was a 32-year-old lawyer in D.C. who was found stabbed to death with three stab wounds in his friend Joe Price's house. Joe Price shared the house with his two roommates slash boyfriends, Dylan and his, Dylan something ward and his domestic partner victor zaborski and they were a polyamorous couple thruple if you will and um they were members of the lgbtq community so they robert was working late he decided to stay at their house it's very suspicious 911 call and robert was not robert was not gay no he was not he was happily married Um, and straight 
But he knew these guys, they were friends, right? Yes, they were, like, Joe is, like, his oldest friend. Right, so that that was the connection. He needed a place to stay. He stayed there, and yes, the crazy correct. thing I remember was that the body was, like, completely drained of blood. Yeah, no blood. Um, cause there, there was, was like, no... a little blood on the bed sheet and some blood on a towel, but not three stab wounds worth of blood. Right. Yeah, and we'll but, talk yeah. about the blood. So Done some more crazy stuff. But... Yes. So Dylan, Joe, and Victor are in interrogation, and they are not cracking. They decide to take Dylan out of the interrogation room for a polygraph test. They ask him, did you kill Robert? And do you know who killed Robert? On both answers, Dylan was uh, DI, which is deception indicated. You know what? Um, I wonder what the future of the polygraph test is, you know? It's a good question. Like, are we going to still be giving people polygraphs, like, 30 years in the future? I'm not sure why we do it. I feel like they're not admissible in court. They're not. So why do we do them? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. So what the one detective was saying is that they use it as a bargaining chip because then they can tell Joe and Victor, hey, Dylan flunked the polygraph. And he told us that he told us everything. And then I guess to someone to who maybe on. doesn't know that the lie detector test is not admissible in court, it still holds a lot of weight. They're all lawyers, the aren't they? I They're thought they lawyers. were. Yeah. But, but you know, like, like to the average person who doesn't know, maybe it holds some weight and just like saying that we're going to hook you up to a polygraph test and someone denies it can be, uh, I don't know. Maybe lawyers can make something out of that. But yeah, I'm just wondering what, What's the future of the polygraph test in this case? But anyway. Yeah, so the test, as we know, is inadmissible in court, and it's not foolproof, but it was, it can be effective because it can be used as a bargaining chip, and it's good for, I don't think they can admit it into evidence, but they can maybe use it in their investigation. Like it helps point them in the right direction. It could be. Um, maybe it's more of a like. Here's extra information for like yeah. a jury. I don't. I don't know. Well, that would but be yeah. evidence. I think. So it, I think if I had to guess, they use it as for investigation purposes. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, cops have no theory that's solid because neither Victor nor Joe, even when they learn that Dylan failed the polygraph, neither of them are turning on him. Joe shows up to the townhouse and wants to come back in and talk. This is after he's been released, out after interrogation. The cops are still all over the townhouse. Joe comes back to the townhouse and is like, hey, I'm ready to talk again. Okay. So initially, Joe told Detective Wade, which who's the lead detective, that he found the knife on top of Robert's chest, like it was lying there. And he okay. picked it up and placed it on the nightstand, which is where it was found by um, crime scene investigators. Right. Now he's changing his story, and he's saying that he pulled the knife out of Robert's chest and put it on the nightstand. Yeah, okay. So he didn't find it like laying on him or on him. He found it in him. That's what he's saying now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But he basically is saying that the purpose he states is that he wants them to be aware in case they find his prints on the knife, that's why, he says. Okay. But, whatever. I don't know. But he's already touched it, but he switched up his story. Yeah, he switched up the context in which he touched it, I guess. Right. Yeah, so that brings me... That's everything that happens before the autopsy. So now I'm getting to the autopsy. 
Um, the chief medical examiner was a woman named Lois Gozlinowski. Gozlinowski? Not sure how to say it, but she conducted the autopsy on Robert's body. She noticed three perfect slit-like defects in his torso, and they were nearly identical. Neither the attacker nor the victim moved, in Lois's opinion. There was no blood on Robert's hands either, so there was no indication that he grabbed his chest to defend himself or that he like reached up in defensive wounds. He would cut himself like nothing. He did not move and neither did the attacker. Like the attacker did no moving other than straight up and down. Yeah. Straight up and down stabbing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, um, she expected significant blood loss. And if you remember, there was no blood. So the wounds were not immediately fatal. She confirms. He was alive during the entire thing and for some time afterwards. Oh. So, and they know that because they found um, digested blood in his lower intestine. So he sat there long enough for his body to digest the blood that he was bleeding. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. How does so, I mean? How does one do that? I, I, my guess is that he must have been like anesthetized or, or or sedated or something. That's what they. That's what the main theory is, but it's circumstantial. Like they don't have any proof that they used any kind well, of. That should show drug. up in a. Yeah, that should show up in an autopsy unless it's like something that. Well, the most drives common, out of the system. Yeah, the most common paralytic, and I'll talk about it in a second, is succinylcholine. But succinylcholine naturally breaks down in the body, so it's not visible on an autopsy. Yeah. Even a talk screen, you have to test specifically for it. Yeah. So, and it has to be like right away, I'm pretty sure. There are some tests that can look for it, but it's not, they're not widely used. Right. I know because I've seen that on a forensic files episode. (laughs) They found, where it found a way to test for it, but I don't know if that, it's obviously not widely used because this chief medical examiner did not use it, so. She said there were no signs of ligature marks, which doesn't make sense as to why he, how he was held still. She's still wondering, right? Um, but the medical examiner believes that there were needle puncture marks on his neck, his hands, his feet, and his ankles, and they were indicative of some sort of drug use. Not repetitive drug use as in it's a drug habit, but that a drug was used. A drug was used in multiple sites along the body. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, at the police's advice, which is, I'll talk about what they found that led them to do this, um, which is a huge part of the case, but there was a sexual assault kit performed on Robert and they, and while in the, um, in the medical examiner's opinion, she could not rule out sexual assault, but there was no, um, apparent signs, no like tearing or anything, but she found semen on his genitalia and inside his rectum. Okay. None of the paramedics could explain the needle marks and I will get back to the semen. Okay. You'll get back to the semen because I'm like, okay, where there's semen. Yeah. I'll get back to semen. How is that not evidence of sexual assault? But anyway. So I want to take a minute to talk about our suspects. So we're going to take a little little sidestep here okay 
One element of this case uh, that was shocking to people is that Joe Price and Victor Zaborski were both prominent members in the gay community. Joe was the founder of an LGBTQ plus organization known as Equality Virginia and was on the front lines of the fight for marriage equality for the gay community. USA Today even featured Victor and Joe because they had been sperm donors for a lesbian couple. And that was like a big deal. Right. A family friend recalls being shocked to realize that the detectives had some suspicion of Joe Dillon and Victor initially thinking that his friend had been the victim of a random violent crime. One of the first indications to Kathy Wan, Robert's wife, that Joe Price was hiding something was that he called the same family friend after the friend's interview with the police to ask him what the detectives had said. So he basically calls the friend and is like, what do they know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So in addition to that, the intruder theory, we talked about that just simply didn't add up. So the police are looking at Joe, Victor, and Dylan. Shortly after all this is going on, Joe, Victor, and Dylan show up at Kathy's house and request a private meeting with her. Oh, no. After this meeting. Screw that. Which, like, why would you let them in? Also, like, yeah, no, these were the, like, like prime suspects. He died right. in their house. Does she, like, she knows that he died in their house? Yeah. So, Okay. After this meeting, it appeared that Kathy believed the three men were also victims in the murder of her husband and stood with them. Wow. So I don't know what they said to her, but they're obviously persuasive. Yeah, I mean, but... Or they threatened her, I don't know. Is she not in contact with the police over this stuff? Like, are they just not feeding her enough information? Because, like, how... if, If they... If she had heard from the police, like, you know, that there was no evidence of entry and other things... I guess the timeline, it, it's very dependent on the timeline of what, what the police had to, had told her. But yeah, I, I would be working with the police over working with these other people. But then again, her husband's uh, like longtime uh, friend was one of the guys that lived in the, uh, in the yeah. town hall. And you'll find out what all so was kept from the friends and family, including Kathy. Um, and also... I think you'd be surprised by how little she knows it during the investigation. Like the police don't really tell them anything of the investigation. Cause they don't like, it's not like they keep the wife up to date. Like they have to keep a lot of that information to themselves until they're ready to make an arrest. You know what I mean? I then she mean. would go talking to potential suspects and telling them what she knew. You know what I yeah. mean? There's yeah, no sh- way to should've... ensure that she's not spreading that information. I don't know if they could, but they, they should have, like, contained the house in some way and yeah. everyone in it. I feel like they released it a little early, but I don't know. Whether they released it or they released custody or whatever they had of the people who were in the house. If they didn't have anything on them, they should have definitely, like, locked those guys down. But, yeah, go ahead. I guess they didn't have anything to hold, any reason to hold them. Because they were, at that point, just persons of interest. They weren't. Which is wild. There's there's a and dead guy in your house. They were there's a dead guy in your house, though. Yeah. I don't know. Crazy. Maybe I, I don't know all the ins and outs of what a policeman can and do. And all three like. of them have been acting weird and have identical stories. And is that not something that, you know? I don't know. So. Yeah. Uh, two more of Robert's friends said, if you were an innocent person, would you interrogate your dead friend's wife and ask the other friend what the police are doing and lawyer up right away? Right. Yeah, so the friends are starting suspicious. to suspect 
they said they they kind of like changed their mind about siding with the friends once they once he met with Kathy. They were all like, "That's fucked up." Right. Once they met with Kathy, um, defense attorney Bernie Grimm was contacted by Joe Price at this time to defend him. Bernie hung his hat primarily on the assertion that the interrogators were homophobic, which he's not wrong about, but does not absolve the three men of guilt in Robert Wan's murder. He said that the detective's only theory was that you're three gay men, you're obviously freaks, you're guilty. Those are his words, not mine. Well, that just makes things worse. Yeah. He's just basically saying that the police from the jump were uh, focusing on the fact that they were gay and that's that acting like that's a motive. Yeah, I hate, I hate how that becomes like some, some bias or whatever becomes part of like actual police work. Like that's right. not... Or, like, if you're xenophobic and you hate foreigners and you hate a certain, like, race or something or ethnicity, it's like, I'm a, come on. Like, you're going to let justice slip away just because you have a preconceived notion or, or a stereotypical right. view on something? Like, I, I don't know. I, that that irks me the wrong way because it's, it's just not the right thing to do. But no. So... I, I bet there's going to be more of that in this case, for sure. Yeah. Um... Bernie does not think that the police adequately investigated the intruder theory in any meaningful way. While the prosecutor, Glenn Kirshner, says there was no evidence, and more importantly, the one who suggested that theory was the only three people in the house when Robert was murdered. Right? Exactly, exactly. You're only taking this into account because someone who was there, a key suspect, yeah. re- uh, recommended it. Yeah, I don't even think they would have. it would have occurred to them to look at an intruder if they hadn't said something. And that's wild because then it's like, okay, well, I mean, is this just a red herring? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the intruder theory. Um, I There are two photos on the drive, Trev. There are diagrams of the house. And, cool friends, I'm going to post this on the Instagram. So when you're ready to listen to this episode, pull up the Instagram because you'll need these two photos for it to make sense. So photo A is the lower level. And photo B is the upper level where Juan's body was found. Okay. So the intruder would have had to first catapult over the fence in the backyard, which we mentioned was seven feet tall. Right. The guys claim that the intruder must have broken into the house, taken not the big knife from the butcher block, but one of the steak knives. So there was a butcher block with like a dozen knives on it in the kitchen, which is right. And that's, that's immediately after he, he jumps over the fence breaks in the back patio door which was unlocked. and then or yeah he didn't have to really break in no. just walk, walked in he's now in the kitchen like that's the first room he enters yes he's in the kitchen he so grabs he had not to the grab big a knife. knife but the steak knife right okay then he walks he turns up goes ignores all of the expensive electronic equipment in the living room downstairs yeah so he walks across the dining room through the living room and then towards the stairs to the right floor, which is like then yeah he goes it's not up it's the not stairs. a robbery yeah then he goes up the stairs there's only one option when you get upstairs and that's to either or two options to go s- straight into dylan's bedroom which is right at the top of the stairs so he's directly looking at dylan's bedroom he ignores it he walks past dylan's bedroom and instead turns 180 degrees and enters the bedroom in the front of the row house to his rear. Right. Right? That's where Robert is. So, right. and again, ignoring the other two rooms on the side off the hallway. Yeah, at the top he's of the stairs. Directly he, there. He, he's walked past 
several rooms yes on the first floor then he also walks past two doors technically this person you know if it's an intruder he may or may not know the layout of the house right so you know he then walks past two doors uh dylan ward's room a bathroom walks across the hall and then goes into the the room where they had found the body and here's my problem with the intruder theory too is that this was a sophisticated murder You know, I mean, they took the time to potentially paralyze him with drugs, stab him three times, clean it up, stage the murder and leave the house without leaving a trace behind. Right. That's sophisticated. This is a sophisticated intruder. If you're a sophisticated intruder and you do this for a living, right, you're an opportunistic killer. Maybe you take money, maybe you break in, whatever, to these expensive row homes. My problem with that is that when he goes into the house, why is he taking his time if he knows people are in there? 11.30 p.m., people are going to be in the house. Right. You know? Yeah. This is on a work day. You can expect, I mean, if it is a sophisticated thing, you can expect someone has cased the house or or watched at least the people that go in and out. And brought their own weapon, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird occurrence for sure. Yeah. Um, and if you remember about catapulting over the fence too, is that the pollen and the cobwebs at the top were undisturbed. We talked about that right. in the last episode. So that kind of, there's a problem with that. But there is a counter argument and I'll get to that soon. So he turns 180 degrees and enters the bedroom in the front of the row house, which is behind him when he's coming up the stairs. Right. He goes into Robert's bedroom and he walks around the bed, which is perpendicular to the doorway. He passes the wallet and the designer watch on the table at the end of the bed. So again, no valuables are being taken. He passes these things, then faces the door and stands at the, at the head of the bed. He inserts the knife. I don't even want to say stabs because he's just really pushing the knife in. He's inserts the knife three times into Robert's torso, passes With, Dylan's yeah. bedroom again, leaving the knife on the table. Right, and not to mention these these are not you say insert because of the yeah. autopsy, like it was such a surgical way of doing so and that um he didn't scream, he didn't fight back or anything. And he would have yeah, and he would have had to paralyze him with not one, not two, but five injection sites. Right. Again, taking your time. Why? And then where's the blood? <laughs> yep. So it's just insane. Then he does not leave through the front door. Instead, he goes back around the stairs. Because if I were him, I would leave through the front door. It's right there at the foot of the stairs. Right. Leave through the front door. He doesn't do that. He goes, he turns back around, goes all the way to the back of the house and leaves, then jumps over the fence again. Right. Because he doesn't have the key to the back door. Yeah. So... Police conduct a door-to-door canvas. Um, Oh, I forgot to say this. Just a reminder from the last episode, remember that 79 minutes is the timeline we're looking at between when Robert arrives and when Victor calls 911. So we can assume that he died around the time that Victor called 911. So that's 79 minutes between those two uh, moments. And when did he allegedly arrive that night? 10.30. 10.30, and then he went up for a shower and to, like, go to bed at 11.30. And the 911 call is placed at 11.49. Oh, dang. So he's only there for an hour and 19 minutes. Yeah, and I'll talk. I'll get into the timeline in just a which few is, bullets Which here. is a, 
a lot of time, but also like I'm not I'm not sure if you can achieve all the all the pieces of evidence, be, meaning like the draining. Right. So I, it's possible that he um, he got there earlier. Or he went to bed earlier than they're saying. Right. This is but just I'll the account the timeline from here. the yeah. from the uh, suspect. We only have their word for it. So right. Police conduct a door to door canvas. These row houses, these row houses are all connected, right? There's like there's the walls right. are super thin. You can hear what's going on in your neighbor's house within reach. There's a townhome to your right, there's a townhome to your exactly. left. They all share walls. So an older couple next door that they say that while the news program was on between eleven and eleven thirty PM, they watch it every night. Between okay. eleven and eleven thirty PM, they heard a scream. The scream is crucial because we know that scream was Victor when he called 911 because he says, I screamed. He says it in the interrogation. They all say it. We know that that scream was Victor. Okay. Right. So this happens between 11 and 1130. They discover Robert's body. So right. that means that they did not call 911 until 1149 PM. They waited anywhere between 19 and 49 minutes to call 911. Right. Which is like, wild. Wild. Yeah. Investigators must have a hard have a hard time explaining why Victor asked the dispatcher what time it is in the 911 call. You'll remember that, Trev? Yep. Because they're wondering if he's being prompted, if they're like establish an alibi. Like that's the only reason I can think of. Like like if my he's friends being coached through the phone call. Right. And like, hey, my good friend's dead in his bed, but by the way, what time is it? That's just so bizarre. Another thing about the call is that Victor says, quote, there's a person in our house and he has one of our knives. But remember, the knife is on the bedside table. Right. What knife is he talking about? I don't know. Clearly he doesn't. It's a little bit of a mix up there. Hmm. It's probably why he needed to be coached, coached through the uh, 911 call. Right. I can just picture him saying that and then being like, He's like, like wave, wave, waving their hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Investigators believe that because Victor used the pronoun we on the 911 call, maybe the three guys discussed their intruder story before Victor placed the call. So they all agreed on the timeline because he says it repeatedly. We. That makes sense. Yeah. In the prosecutor's mind, this is sufficient evidence for the cover-up. Again, all circumstantial. We can't prove any of this. But. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the search. During the search of the house, they found in Dylan's room, and this is what I'm going to talk a lot about. In Dylan's room, in Detective Wade's words, quote, hundreds and hundreds of sexual devices. Oh, wow. These include torture devices, spacer bars, and neck restraints. Okay. So this just all sorts of weird stuff. BDSM. Yeah. Yeah. This leads the detectives to request the sexual assault kit be done by the medical examiner. Now, as I mentioned earlier, they found semen in his rectum and on his genitals. Right. They now have a viable DNA sample, but Ooh. guess who the DNA belongs to? Um, himself? Yeah, it's Robert Semen. Wow. The question is, who does this implicate? It's not determined that Robert was sexually assaulted, at least it's not confirmed, but how did the semen get into his anal cavity? Right. 
Now, the BDSM equipment is under examination. In the equipment, they also find a TENS unit, which in BDSM is used to force stimulate ejaculation and to electrically, like, torture someone by electrocution. Yeah, which is, it's used for, like, therapy for, like, muscles and stuff. Yeah, yeah. but you can actually use it to, like, stimulate someone coming, essentially. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, so they think that maybe they use that. It's possible. I guess so. Um. Then they wonder if a sexual device such as a dildo was used to put Robert's DNA inside of him. And Who that knows? explains I, why I, it was in it there. It have been put there somehow, but like, yeah. I, there's it's no other explanation. Thing. I mean, what, like, yeah. why? Um, according to a search warrant of the computers revealed thousands of pornographic images, many of which were Joe and Dylan's. Okay. According to Detective Wade, in an interesting turn of events, Joe was in charge in daily life, but Joe was not in charge in the bedroom. Okay. So Dylan, Where did they get this information from? Well, based on the pictures. Oh, uh, I see. So Dylan was the dom. Yep. And Joe was the sub. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of... It is interesting, all, too, All because... of the sexual devices in Dylan's room. Yeah. It is interesting, though, because when you see the... Um, when you see pictures of them, they are like Joe is clearly physically larger. Right. And he's the more, I guess, traditionally masculine of the two. I don't know. It's just interesting. BDSM, by the way, can be safe and it can be consensual and it can be done properly. So we're not at all talking about, we're not judging the BDSM lifestyle here. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is that in this case, it's relevant um, to a violent crime that was committed. It yeah, because be there relevant. was evidence of, of alleged sexual assault, at least. Right. Like, just, There's just a weird, a weird combination of things, for sure. Exactly, yeah. So it all has to be taken into account. Yes, so consent is huge here, is all I'm saying. All right. Detective Wade says that if there was a way to restrain Robert without injuries, Joe and Dylan would probably know how to do it. Which is true. Right. They might have the equipment. Yeah. Well, they definitely have the equipment. There were like hundreds, hundreds. It's like, yeah, anyway. But they, I think they, they know how to restrain somebody without it leaving a mark because this is their daily life, right? They have to navigate a career without having like wrist restraint bruises and stuff like that they're like they have to find a way to do it without you know what i'm saying yeah i, I get it yeah uh, um another theory according to bernie the defense attorney bernie the defense attorney is that robert was a willing participant joe says no that robert is happily married and straight detective wade yeah. doesn't think so either doesn't think robert was involved either they searched robert's computers and his phone and found no evidence suggesting that Robert was looking to experiment or had any sexual interest beyond his wife. Like, he didn't even watch porn. Yeah, so it seems like uh, he might not have been into it. He might have just been friends with them, but unless he had just a really elaborate um, ruse. <laughs> like some crazy something. plan, yeah. But no, yeah. I think he literally was just friends with them. Furthermore, Robert's night guard was found in his mouth. Okay, and I'll explain what this means. Kathy said the last thing Robert did every night 
is put the night guard in. So if he was there to participate in sexual activity, why would he have his mouth guard in? I don't, I also, don't know. Why can't I, I say mar- mouth guard? Mouth guard. I keep saying Marth guard. <laughs> mouth guard. It's hard. As I it's mentioned, hard to say it fast. Last episode, the medical examiner thinks that drugs like succinylcholine cannot be ruled out because succinylcholine breaks down naturally in the body and is not found in tox screens. Bernie says that the negative test means no drugs, full stop. He's saying, like, we can't speculate beyond that because that's all we know. Yeah, I mean, I I don't see the benefit of speculating if you can't prove it. I mean, that's just like, if, if they didn't test for it, which maybe should be added to some sort of toxicology toxicology screening or whatever they do in in those cases. I, I don't know. You know, but it, it seems like case, if it's something that doesn't show up on a regular like drug panel, then that should be something that's tested all the time. But then in this case, when he has all those needle marks, like how else do you explain that? I, I see. Yeah, I don't know. You know but, that, I mean? but that's the whole reason of like, as a um, forensic, whoever does the autopsy, I'm not sure what Medical they are. examiner. Whoever is the medical examiner, maybe that's a little bit of negligence on their part, because if they have found that they were injected by something, as a medical examiner, wouldn't you want to test as many things as possible to try to figure out what, what might have been injected? Yeah, I guess they had and, reasonable, what they were kind of explaining, or at least implying, I think how it works, is that the medical examiner does not run the talk screens. That's the Department of Toxicology, which is a different, it's a special, a specialist that they have to send to, and they don't run a talk screen every time. But the medical examiner are the people who will order these tests. They've got to be, because toxicology is not going to be like, oh, we have a dead body, let's just, uh, we need these samples. That's going to be up to someone who's who's analyzing the, the body of evidence at that point to determine what, tests need to be ran yeah um, maybe and, the and what screen... samples are needed to be gathered which i imagine would be done by the medical examiner and then sent out so maybe it could have been a lack of resources maybe the toxicology department didn't have the test for um the the drug that is absorbed by the body maybe it had been too long i don't know but it's also it seems possible me... that yeah i'm sorry no i interrupted you go ahead uh i was just saying it, it seems to me if 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 you're trying to get to the bottom of something, why wouldn't you go about it in a more uh, holistic way and, and use all the resources you have? It's also possible that because of the amount of time and resources that this te- these tests take, I don't think that they can just, if I had to guess, I don't think they can just run tests willy-nilly. I think they have to have probable cause. And needle marks may not constitute probable cause because... It's like if you go to the ER and you have a hook in your hand, a hook through your hand, they're not going to check you for a concussion. You know what I'm saying? So I think they probably, their focus was probably on the stab wounds as cause of death. So they may not have had probable cause for a full talk screen because they're like, okay, his, obviously his cause of death was the knife wounds. Why are we investigating the rest of it? I don't know. I I don't know. Other than just to maybe provide context for a yeah the due diligence um, yeah I, but i don't know i'm not a medical examiner i've only seen one on tv so i'm not either okay yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> so the next piece of the puzzle is the missing blood the theory was that maybe he was stabbed somewhere else so the cadaver dogs they bring them in 
they hit on two locations. One was the lint trap of the dryer. Okay. And the other is the rear stairwell drain. So on the back, on the back porch. So they rinsed out some stuff outside into the drain and they quickly washed the sheets or whatever had blood on them. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, come on. But I guess it's still circumstantial at this point, really. Yeah. I don't know. The problem with the drain, Bernie, the defense attorney, (laughs) he was explaining that the problem with the drain is that because of all the water and other fluids that's washed down a drain, it mixes and dilutes the blood enough that they can't get an adequate sample for DNA. So they couldn't even, they wouldn't have even been able to tell that it was Robert's blood. Sure. I get that. And then, but the, oh yeah. And then in in the dryer, I don't know, like I'm sure it all can be like uh, defended against. It's not, it's not the best source of evidence, but it it is all there. It all still tells the story to me. There also was no evidence that cleaning agents were used. So like no bleach residue and there was, there wasn't even bleach in the house. So like, how would they have cleaned it up? Um, So to perform a test, and this is what I was talking about last episode where I was saying like they lost the luminol photos and I couldn't remember what it was. They actually used, now I figured out what it was. They, I knew they botched the test and this is how. So they use a chemical known as Ashley's reagent, which can be used to find cleaned up blood and blood residue, similarly to luminol. Ashley's reagent can only be sprayed on horizontal surfaces like a countertop or a table or a floor. And it detects that blood used to be there. However, they botched the test because once you spray, spray the reagent, it doesn't come out. And okay. it's going to hide blood stains that were there, like hide them in the sense that they couldn't perform the test twice is my point. Right. So they spray it on the horizontal surfaces, but they also sprayed it on the vertical surfaces. This is a problem because it drips. Right. So the walls, the floors, like they sprayed it in the shower and the tub, which would have been probably a great place to spray it, except right. that it was dripping all the way down. So they totally botched the test. I see. So they, they applied it wrong. Yeah. And the defense attorney or the prosecutor was even saying like, that was a big fuck up Yeah, because that they essentially like killed their chance of finding blood evidence. Right. Um, okay. Then well, let's talk about the knife again. Knife is taken in for analysis. Remember from last week that the wounds don't match the size of the knife, the knife, the wounds are only three to four inches and the knife from tip to hilt is uh, five to six inches like five and a half so it's too long for the depth of the wound there were also no fibers from robert's t-shirt on the knife conclusion was that the knife on the nightstand was not the one used in the murder there was a three-piece cutlery set in dylan's room the smaller knife was missing the knife was never found however later in the trial dylan's mother claims that she has the knife Hmm. three months after the murder joe victor and dylan have sold the house moved to florida And the house is broken into. This is a very brief diversion. Apparently, Joe's brother, Michael Price, came in and stole some TVs that were still in the house to pawn. The charges are dropped. (laughs) But plot twist, Michael has a key to the townhouse. And here's why that's a problem. Because Joe, in his interrogation, told the police no one else has a key. Right. But his brother had a key. Furthermore, 
Michael Price was studying to be a phlebotomist and had access to the local hospital, which and also drugs like sixtenocholine. Right. But other than that, there's no evidence connecting him to that to the crime. So it was like it was like a brief diversion that they were like, oh, maybe it's him, and then stopped. Why are they dismissing suspect or potential suspects? I think that because they investigate, they like were able to ping his phone. So, which was circumstantially that told them that he wasn't, his phone wasn't at the murder scene. That didn't tell them that he wasn't at the murder scene, but the, right. the buck kind of stops there. Did I use that right? The buck stops here. I think so. Okay. The only theory here that undoubtedly holds water is the conspiracy. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I don't believe the intruder thing. No, not at all. Um, I'm almost done. <clears throat> One year later, there has been no progress made in the investigation. A press conference is given, and Kathy makes her first public statement, making it clear that she no longer defends the three men. Frustrated yes. to have these three close friends unwilling to explain and cooperate or speak out. The prosecutor said they moved forward and had probable cause to make an arrest for obstruction of justice by that point. Right. They arrest Dylan first. They decide that he's the weak point, even though they know he's the Dom, which by the way, would explain why, uh, why none of them are talking is maybe they're scared of Dylan. I don't know. They arrest Dylan maybe, first. I, I'm not sure. Then Victor, then Joe, all one at a time. Nobody change, changes their story, and they so they're all charged with obstruction of justice. October twenty seventh, two thousand eight, is when an affidavit comes out, which all of with all of the information about the case. Robert's friend Jason. So a lot of a lot of the the family friends and Kathy and whatever. This is when they find out all the information that Joe, Dylan, and Victor have been hiding from everybody. Right. Robert's friend Jason said that the affidavit was the thing that changed his mind for sure, because the level of depravity was impossible to comprehend when it came to the BDSM and like the stuff that they were into, because it was way darker than anyone realized. Yeah. And Kathy saw it as a horrible betrayal of trust. Yeah. And not to mention like, so in this affidavit, affidavit, um, in that, if, if people got, like, the, a level of information that we have now, mm -hmm. think about, like, how that changes so much. Totally. Like, that's so wild how, like, none of this information gets around enough. Well, it's like you don't want mob mentality or people jumping on, the like, a bandwagon. But just learning about this all afterwards, yeah, it's it's got to be really crazy. This affidavit affidavit reveals that what everyone thought was a three-way relationship was actually two two-way relationships with joe at the center wow. so joe and victor are a couple and joe and dylan are a couple okay. so the bdsm was happening between joe and dylan victor right. was not involved interesting and they were into some like like master and slave and cage and containment like crazy not crazy. I shouldn't say crazy because when consent is involved and you're adults, it seems, go like, nuts. It seems like it's very intense. But so. it does seem very extreme, I should say. Yep. Seems intense. Seems like some high level BDSM stuff. Yeah. Which, right, in the right avenue could be harmless, but in the, in the, the, in the, this case, it seems sketchy. Exactly. 
I mean, yeah. yeah, given given the circumstances, it it all seems like it could have storytelling potential. Like there exactly. could be truth to all this stuff. They could all be related. So, four years later, the trial's happening. Three of the best defense attorneys are hired for the case. Uh, Bernie Grimm was Joe Price's defense attorney, and he was the one who appeared on the documentary, which, again, I'll give you the information. I can't link it because it, you have to have a membership to Peacock, but it's on Peacock. Okay. Um, four years later, the trial's happening. Bernie files a motion to suppress any evidence of the BDSM, deeming it irrelevant and circumstantial and a reflection of the police department's bias. So he says... No BDSM, no sexual assault, none of it's being talked about in court. Which I think that's taking a, a little bit of an advantage of the um, the policeman being yep. biased. I think I think you can't all all the way throw it out, but because they were biased to begin with, I mean, he's got a decent yeah. That's just that's just good. And law. I'm ninety nine percent sure that that's why it did get thrown out. So they weren't allowed to talk about any of it. Yep. And I'm 99% sure it was because of the the way the police behaved in the interviews. Yeah, it's almost like a compromise. He's saying, like, just because the bias was happening, you got to give me something for that. Yeah. Throwing out all the sexual. They fuck themselves over. That's what bias does. It fucks you over. So, the defense argument. Yeah, the defense argument that the case was so widely publicized, or the defense argued, also that the case was so widely publicized that they it would be impossible for them to get a fair trial. So they called for what's known as a bench trial. So instead of performing, performing, instead of the trial taking place in front of a jury of their peers, the trial right. would take place in front of a judge. So the burden of proof would be on them, but only for to um, only to prove it to one person rather than 13, the judge and the jury. They just yeah. have to prove it to the judge. Which is rough, but okay. Yep. So they, the judge grants their motion, says, yep, you can have a bench trial. And I think that was the nail in the coffin for the prosecution, if you ask me, because they had already thrown their case because of the detective's conduct. But then on top of that, they lose their primary evidence, which is the BDSM and the, the possibility of succinylcholine injection. They get that thrown out. And then on top of that, the defense argument throws out the, the jury, which is a huge motion because he was explaining that 70% of all murder trials or cases revolving around murder, if there's a jury, they're going to convict. Yeah. Because they look into the crowd, they see the victim's family, and that's enough for most of them. So anyway, they do not have a jury trial and instead choose to have a bench trial with only one person deciding the case, the judge. The prosecution knew that they had to prove three things, the intruder theory being bullshit, the missing blood, and the missing knife. Cleanup followed by cover-up, in other words. The defense argues that the police never fully investigated the intruder theory. They find several things upon their own investigation of the house. A, you can insert your hand into the mail slot and unlock it to open the front door of the house. So they're saying that they may have been able to gain entry in the front door. Second, or B, They also film a clip of one of the defense attorneys climbing the fence to prove that it is not impossible and it doesn't even take superhuman strength. It's actually pretty doable. So that's B. C, they go next door and they encounter a housekeeper of the neighbor's house who was there that night and found two foot impressions as if someone landed on the sandbox in the neighbor's backyard. 
She walked next door, reportedly, told the detective who allegedly told her not to worry about it because we already have the people involved. Interesting. So, like, come on. You know what I'm saying? This one's really frustrating because I feel like they could have solved it. Like that's that's what happens so often. So the defense calls Dr. Henry Lee, a well-known crime scene investigator who worked on the O.J. Simpson trial, to testify that Robert bled out internally, and that is where all the blood went. The medical examiner disagrees with this, and the idea that Robert died instantly is also something Dr. Henry Lee says. So that's a problem because the two investigators disagree, but the disagreement is enough to probably give the judge some pause. Right. And remember that Dylan's mother testifies that the knife that was missing in a set she gave to Dylan and that she kept the other knife for herself. So that kind of throws out the knife argument too. Right. The judge dismissed that there was an intruder and she shredded the character of the three men and their odd behavior. She acknowledged that they willingly withheld relevant information for reasons unknown. She said at the end of the day, it came down to moral certainty versus evidentiary certainty. The judge concludes that the knife on the nightstand was the murder weapon. So you notice some of these things are conflicting with each other. Yeah. And this is something that everyone involved remembers was when she's reading the verdict, which was, I believe, 38 pages. When she's reading it, it's like almost 50 minutes of her just reading this document. And right. she they said every statement was like, is she going to convict? Is she going to acquit? Is she going to convict? Like back and forth. Because they had no idea. So she, yeah. She does not believe they falsified their timelines or cleaned up the blood. She believed that Joe had tampered with the knife but could not determine the intent or the reason why. At the end of the day, the prosecution needs proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Regardless, the decision was in not guilty. Mm. So at the end of the day, what she ended up saying was that the judge was like, look, I think we all know who did it, but we don't have enough evidence. Yeah. That's essentially that makes what sense. Said. That makes sense. The burden of proof is, uh, is upon the police and upon the investigators. And I mean, it, it, you know, it'd be a whole lot better if one of these three gentlemen was like, hey, yeah, I killed him. Yeah. But the fact that everyone's just staying quiet and trying to get away with it is such a... It's so I, I hate it. Yeah, I hate it. But at the same time, like... So they've they've got to do better police work. They've got to do better investigation. Kathy brought a wrongful death suit of $20 million. Um, They, she asked them to come and testify in the civil case and the trio refused to cooperate and they pled the fifth on all questions asked of them. Wow. So after they had got their not, not guilty thing, they just said, Nope. It's so fucked. It's so fucked up. Detective Wade says that when he dies, the first question he will ask God is who killed Robert Wan. And they all said something to the same effect, like this case just has kept them up at night. Yeah, well, I can understand. It's, it's. I see what the judge means by like, we all know who did it, or we all can guess. Like, it's probably one of the three guys. Yeah, if not all three, I don't know. But I they're think all, they're... they're all complacent, or they're like, if it's not, they all, you know, held the knife and stabbed the guy. Somebody did, and everyone else covered it for him, which is. Yeah. One of them knows. Or, I'm sorry, all three of them know one of them did it. Yep. It's just crazy. Bernie Grimm says that if Joe is brought up on murder charges, he will go to trial for free. He's that sure that he's innocent. 
Which again, wow. Joe might be innocent of murder. Is he innocent of the conspiracy or obstruction of justice? I don't think so, but that's just my opinion. I don't know. If right. you have, uh, reportedly, Joe and Victor live together in Florida and Dylan has left the relationship. Allegedly, wow. Joe and Dylan have both had their names changed. That's crazy. So they're ready to move on, I guess. If you have information about this case, call 202-727-9099. Yep. The Crime Stoppers line. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's a crazy one. Yeah. Good two-parter. So long. I'm sorry. I didn't think it was that long. Oh. I thought it was interesting. I've been talking for like 50 minutes though, so. (laughs) That's okay. Ah, it's okay. I do that every week. I'm going to pick a short and sweet one next time. Maybe. That's fine. No problem. You ready for a palate cleanser? I'm so ready. Give it to me. All right. We are talking about today for my mystery is a little bit of something that I think a lot of people may know about. And if they don't, then it'll kind of like blow your mind or also be like, it's information like, what do I do with this now? Um, And it's the Lincoln Kennedy coincidences. You ever heard of them? No. So, uh, Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy share a bunch of, like, um, similarities. Weird. And, yeah, they're a little weird. I think that they're, and I'll get into a little bit of the history about it, but um, these these are alleged coincidences connecting U.S. Presidents Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy and are a piece of American folklore of unknown origin. Weird. Yep. Okay. The list, yep. Nothing. Okay. No, I was gonna do. What, okay. I was gonna do what I do every week, and I'm not gonna do it. I was gonna guess what it was instead of just letting you tell me, and I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I promise. Okay. Uh, so it's a list of coincidences that appeared in mainstream American press in 1964, a year after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, having appeared prior to that in the GOP Congressional Committee newsletter. So. Um, the year after he's assassinated, then people start connecting these dots, which uh, they're a little wild. And I'm going to try to drink the Kool-Aid while I read these. Okay. In the 1970s, uh, Martin Gardner's version of the list contained 16 items. Many subsequent versions have circulated with much longer lists of similarities or coincidences. Um, but some of these are a little mind-blowing. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I think I had heard about this in, like, U.S. history in high school. We had a kind of a cool history teacher. Yeah. He, he alluded to this uh, one class period. But um, both presidents were elected to Congress in in the year of 46. Like, Link, at the age 46? No, or you're in saying- year 46. So Lincoln was elected in 1846 from Illinois. And Kennedy was elected in 1946 from Massachusetts. Massachusetts. That's Mass- weird. Mass- Massive, huge tits. <laughs> That's what never, it sounds like to I've me. I've never so. heard that one. <laughs> of course it sounds like that to you. Um, okay. So yeah, they were both elected to Congress in the same year, albeit 100 years apart. Um, both were elected to the presidency in the 60s, both 100 years apart. So Lincoln was elected in 1860, and Kennedy was elected in 1960. So they joined Congress same year. They were both elected president the same year. So they were in Congress the same amount of years before they became president as well, which is weird, right? That is weird. 
Okay. It gets weirder. Um, both of them have seven le- letters in their last name, Lincoln and Kennedy. That's strange. Okay. Yeah. Both were concerned with civil rights. Right. Um, Lincoln felt strongly that all slaves should be freed and issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which illegally freed slaves within the Confederacy. And Kennedy was concerned with racial equality and was the first to propose what would be the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Okay. Okay. So both civil rights uh, leaders? No. Concerned with civil rights? Icons? Legends? Civil had, rights legends. <laughs> yeah, they had the the more um, equal and, and right values, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, both married in their thirties to women who were in their twenties. That's weird. Link, Lincoln was married on November fourth, eighteen forty two, and he was thirty three years old at the time of his wedding. Mary, Mary Ann Todd was 23 years old at the time. Kennedy was born uh, whenever. And he, he was 36 year old, years old at the time of his wedding. And his uh, bride, Jacqueline, was born was uh, 21, 24 years old. Jesus Christ. I'm like getting... I'm having trouble with the... You're getting so numbers. excited. Anyway, they were both uh, married in their 30s to women in their 20s, so... Okay. Big age gap kings here. Yeah. 10 years for Lincoln and like 13 years for Kennedy. No, 12 years for Kennedy. Both. <laughs> Do you want what? to read that again? No. <laughs> well, friends, I think you know what I mean anyway. Okay. I mean, I'll summarize it just in, just just for clarity. Yeah. Lincoln married Mary Ann Todd when he was 33 and she was 23. Uh-huh. Kennedy married Jacqueline uh, Bovier? Bovier? Bovier. He married her when he was 36 and she was 24. It's spelled B-O-U-V-I-E-R. So Bo- Bovier or Bovier? 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 I don't know. I don't know either, but okay. he was 36 and she was 24. So they both did the whole like 30s and 20s kind of thing. Okay. Both were shot on a Friday. Lincoln was shot on Good Friday, April 14th, 1865. And Kennedy was shot on Friday, November 22nd, 1963. I was going to say 19th. It is the 22nd. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Both shot on a Friday. They were both shot in the head. Uh Both of the president's successor were named Johnson. Lincoln was succeeded by Andrew Johnson, and Kennedy was succeeded by Lyndon B. Johnson. Weird, right? There's some more. Both were succeeded by Southerners. Andrew Johnson was from Tennessee, and Lyndon B. Johnson was from Texas. Both successors were born in 08. So, Andrew Johnson was born in 1808. Lyndon B. Johnson was born in 1908. That's so weird. Ew. It gets worse. Both Ah! assassins, John Wilkes Booth and Lee Harvey Oswald, are known by their three names. Ah! Although this is common for many notorious assassins who who are covered by the press, 
see like Mark Mark David Chapman, which that's a worth a side goog. I don't know who's Mark, John, Mark John David Chapman. John Lemon. John Lemon. <laughs> Rip. Not John, as opposed to John Nectarine. <laughs> as opposed to Jonathan Lime. <laughs> the lead singer of the um, Centipedes. Double, my favorite. double check. Um, <laughs> double check um, Mark David Chapman, but I think that's right. I think it's I John Lennon. I, I think it is too. I trust you. This is no, routinely don't trust done by me. the press. Wait, we have to fact check. Trust your trust your girlfriends. This was routinely done by the press to avoid tarnishing the reputations of people in, with similar names. I.e., there are many John Booths, Lee Oswalds, and Mark Chapmans. Uh, yeah. Sure. Okay. Whew, I was worried. <clears throat> yeah, we Marissa and I used to say three names all the time because whenever someone has three names, like killers always have three names. I don't know what that is. You should do. I think they do that. that. Well, that that seems like what this is saying that it's routinely done. Like three names are are added to avoid tarnishing the reputations of people with similar names. <laughs> so I mean, think all about the all, all the go, damn all it. The, yeah, all the all the Ted Bundys in the world just arriving. <laughs> so they say Theodore Robert. Got to be at Bundy. least ten of them. That's why they say that. I guess so, but I don't know him for Ted Bundy, so it's a little weird. Yeah, that's true. I kind of backfired there, news news networks. Yeah, I, I don't know. But um, interesting. another interesting thing about their names is that each assassin's full name was composed of 15 letters. What? Yep, John Wilkes Booth and Lee Harvey Oswald. That's so weird. Now... Yeah. And there's been more um, coincidences, but some of them are, are based upon false information. Uh, okay. I'll read you some of those. Although President Kennedy had a secretary named Lincoln, President Lincoln did not have a secretary named Kennedy. Uh, Lincoln's secretaries were John G. Nicole and John M. Hay. So, uh, yeah, that was one of the popular ones, I think. So, Basically, this like long list, people just kept putting in like random stuff that didn't make sense, ah. just just to further like freak people out, um, and and all all that of was, these is just like there's that no was, that huh? was one that was false. This is these are some that are false and okay, got it. You know, when you read this list, it kind of freaks you out a little bit, but it's also like, what do I do with this information? What what is what is the reason? Yeah, why? It's like why are there two presidents that have all these similarities? And I'll get into a little bit of that, too. Okay. Um, Booth ran from the theater and was caught in a warehouse, and Oswald ran from a warehouse and was caught in a theater. What? That, that is false, oh. though that's one of the more popular ones I've heard. Um, Booth did run from Ford's theater where he shot Lincoln, was but, but, but he was caught in a barn in Virginia, which, uh, I mean, barns can be warehouses. Oh. I, I don't know. Um, Oswald fled from the Texas uh, School Book Depository, which was a warehouse where Oswald worked from and where he had shot Ken- Kennedy. Oswald was arrested in a movie Allegedly, theater. I should Allegedly, say. yeah. Yeah. And, and, but he was arrested in a movie theater. We should talk about so it. We should talk about Oswald that. stuff checks out, but John Wilkes Booth stuff, where he was caught in a barn, eh, you could say it's a warehouse. I don't know. Depends on if it's Happy like a, barn. a livestock barn or... You know, just like a barn that has a bunch of crap in it. 
And by crap, crap I mean barn. miscellaneous items. Crap barn. Not a literal crap barn. <laughs> Those in crap houses shouldn't ha- harbor criminals, I guess. Yes. Okay. Um, another false assumption was that both assassins were born in the year 39, which that would have been another weird year occurrence. Um, Oswald weird. was born in 1939, but Booth was born in 1838, so almost almost similar, but not Oh, not yeah. Well. Both presidents were assassinated by Southerners. However, that's false because Oswald was born in New Orleans, but Booth, a Confederate Southern sympathizer, was born in Maine, a Union state. Or, sorry, Maryland, a Union state. Okay. So they weren't both Southerners, but one of them was a Southerner sympathizer. Okay. Um, some urban folklorists have postulated that the list provided a way for to, for people to make sense of two tragic events in American history by seeking out patterns. Um, Martin Gardner, who I had uh, said before, who was who, who uh, was one of the publishers of like the original lists, um, he says that it is relatively easy to find seemingly meaningful patterns relating any two pe- people or events. And this is actually a psychological phenomenon, which, Grace, you love psychology. I do. Well, friends, we hope you do too, because I, th- I also find it kind of interesting. But the psychological phenomenon of apophenia, A-P-P- sorry, A-P-O-P-H-E-N-I-A. So apophenia, apophenia. Yeah. It's defined as the tendency to perceive order in random configurations, okay. and has been proposed. Is that as like a when people see reasons. faces and something? No, I think it's <laughs> no. just no. I think it's just our tendency to perceive like patterns, and where where there's not patterns, our brain just constantly tries to put things into order um, most of the time in order for us to make sense of things. It's like the the pattern yeah. forming part of our brain. It's apophenia. You're right. Yep. Okay. Um, there's the uh, Martin is saying that this is probably um, or a proposed reason for the list's enduring popularity is because people like to put these things together, and it kind of clicks in our brain a little bit. I don't know. It scratches like an itch on the back of your brain a little bit. Hmm. There's like an itch in my mind palace, but it's in some of the like back rooms of the mind palace. Where did you get that mind palace? Did you just come up with that? Well, it's been so long, I don't know, but I probably got it from some someone else, like some some YouTube short or TikTok or something. Mind palace. TikTok. TikTok. I don't so know. My, gra- it, my grandma calls it TikTok. Yeah, well, tell her that those are <laughs> shitty mints. Shitty mints. Yeah, I feel like Tic Tacs were way cooler like 20 years ago. Uh, yeah, I used to love Tic Tacs. But there's so many better like candies or mints out there now. I don't know, the mint game has really gone downhill. That's so true. Remember icebreakers? People used to love them shits. Yeah, icebreakers. And then also like as an adult, like I thoroughly appreciate an Altoid. So true. Because I love it's it like strong part. enough to where it feels like it actually cuts through like some scum. bad breath. Yeah. The scum. Yeah, you know, you haven't brushed your teeth the in like two scum. weeks. Two weeks, yeah. but you eat a whole can of Altoids at once and you're good. 
can of Altoids at once, I would throw up. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of mint. Tilly, what are you doing? All right, hopefully she'll be quiet. Most of the items listed above are true, such as the year in which Lincoln and Kennedy were each elected president, but this is not so unusual given that presidential elections are held only every four years. Right. So they kind of cycle up over the course of 100 years. So there will always be a 46th president. It just separated by 100 years. A few of the items are simply untrue. For example, Lincoln never had a secretary named Kennedy. Kennedy's secretary is yada, yada, yada. However, Lincoln's footman, William H. Crook, did advise Lincoln not to go out that night in Ford's Theater, which David Mickelson of Snopes points out in many ways in which Lincoln and Kennedy do not match to show the superficial nature of the alleged coincidences. Um, Lincoln was born in 1809, but Kennedy was born in 1917. So that didn't like necessarily match up in a creepy way and therefore is omitted from the list. So like when you see all the similarities listed out in one thing, you also don't see all the ways in which they differ. Got it. Yeah. Because you tend to Focus in. They can't see what I'm doing. Focus in. Yeah, you. you well, your your brain's like, oh yeah, that matches up. Oh yeah, that matches up. But you're not hearing like a, just a long list of the like facts. You're hearing the only the coincidences that happen, and some other like details are also omitted to make it sound sort of interesting. Like um, Lincoln and Kennedy were both elected in in the in year sixty. But Lincoln was already in his second term, and Kennedy was not, so it didn't always like match up perfectly. Right. And also, neither the years, months, nor dates of their assassinations match at all. Mm, right. So you know, it, you're only seeing the stuff that matches up, and uh, that's what makes it so weird. Because our brain is like, oh my god, what? But that weird. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It, it's just weird, and then it's like, well, what do I do with this information? Nothing. Are there any more similarities? Um, no, those are just the ones I had found. I'm sure there are more lists online. This is, this is just one list. Okay. But apparently you can look up um, similarities between all presidents and you, you're bound to at least find a couple. I'm sure. Like this list was one of the more Bunch popular of ones. white that was... dudes. Of course we're going to find similarities. Exactly. And th this one, was, I think, is just one of the more popular lists that had been um gathered or, or assembled and you know it's there are a lot of similarities and it's really weird but what do we take from it nothing really at all because i mean i'm not saying like a commentary on like how it was all planned 100 years apart because <laughs> i don't think there's really any evidence to some of these things right of course did you know that you say similarities Sim similarities Simi instead of, instead of saying similarities yeah you say similarities similarities <laughs> i say a lot i say a lot of things wrong i talk real good sometimes no you don't everything else is fine i just noticed that it's not wrong it's just funny it's just a little bit of flavor just a little bit of flavor yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. speaking of flavor girlfriends uh thank you for watching this episode or listening that to was this it episode. Yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Oh, okay. All right. Short and well, sweet good one. And to the point. Yeah, unlike mine. <laughs>
Well, I mean, I, you know, once once we exhaust all the similarities, <laughs> once we exhaust all the the coincidences and comparisons, there's really nothing much else to this. But I just thought it was like I wanted to bring it up because this was something that I learned about in high school that like it just brought up a bunch of memories of it. Yeah. And kind of like a little bit of a nostalgic feel to uh, me thinking like, oh, there's got to be something more to this. Like whenever I was a kid, I was much more, I guess, uh, naive or maybe gullible, mm. more or less. And I was like, this is just too crazy. Too many similarities. Too many. Too many things. <laughs> and it's like, he must well, be the same guy. <laughs> exactly. It's like, this This is planned. I was like, it, it's it's people who are anti civil rights. They killed them. They just they did. They they got them. They they did it and they did it ritualist ritualistically and like on the same day. And I was like, eh, but as I get older, not. Nah. I mean, it's just the law of average. Probably stuff. not that there, deep. Yeah. Yeah, there's just bound to be something. Okay. Wow. Well, that was I like that. Yeah. A little bit of history. Cool, right? A little, little bit, bit of history. A little bit of conspiracy. <laughs> A bit of history. A little all y'all. conspistory. Conspistory. A little bit of simu- simularities. <laughs> in this simu- simulation. Simulation. Yeah, those, those are simularities. Simularities. Facsimile of the simile. It's fine because I can't say. With the sommelier. What was it life. that I couldn't say? Um, Matt. Wait. Matt? No, it was something with um. Oh, uh, mouth. Mouth guard. Mouth feel. I kept saying Mar- Marth guard. Yeah, Martha Stewart. His mouth mouth guard. Marth. Shout out to the Marth? Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, we had a category in trivia last night of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Editions, and yeah. it was one of them was Martha Stewart. Yeah, I shout had a great guess with Helen Mr. Mirren. Big Balls. Yeah. Yeah. I know you listened to the first three episodes, Fatty, so I guess you'll miss this shout out. Yeah, if you if you get this deep, then uh shout out to the Fatty McBig Balls trivia experience for enlightening us on the whole Martha Stewart was in the Sports Illustrated at eighty one, which is you know, I mean good for her. Good for her. Go I didn't see this. the issue. I'm sure it was fire. I'm sure it was fire. It was fire. I'm sure it had lots of similarities between Lincoln and Kennedy's <laughs> assassination in there as well. But anyway, that's all I got for you, for Yay. y'all. Yay! We did it. Great two-parter. Super, super crazy. I wish they'd get those bastards and yeah, get them convicted. I know. I'll try and be shorter with it next week, old friends. But honestly, we're going to cut it off. It's probably going to be the same length. When I edit out you playing fetch with tilly yeah no worries um i think me and the ghoul school friends included enjoy your long cases because they're always really detailed and really nice so i say don't do don't change what you do because i like it yeah honestly i don't know why i'm saying that ghoul friends do what you want you know just you're being a little little insecure i am and i don't know why we don't know what for we like your long cases Every time they walk through the door. <laughs> that was right? a good one. Yeah. yeah. Very niche. Niche song reference. <laughs> niche? Yeah. That's Harry Styles, isn't it? Oh, no, that's One Direction. One Direction. Yeah, so I one guess One Direction no. was niche? No, Crap. I guess not. 
whatever. Caesar, Grace. Come well, on. niche because it's almost it's only like certain amount of people were alive then. Yeah, yeah. I can so see it's that. like a very specific right. subset. Only a certain amount of people were alive then, just like only a certain amount of people are alive right now, <laughs> and one minute from now, and you know what? From... Yeah. Well, you know what. <laughs> Girlfriend, send us an email at wheremurdermeetsmystery at gmail.com. You can reach us on Insta- Instagram at wheremurdermeetsmystery. Give us a co- comment or a follow. or su- Don't forget to don't forget to subscribe. I don't know. I don't, I don't do none of that. <laughs> it's okay. We're, all, we're, we're devolving in the last five minutes. But yes. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Yes. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Did you say that? Yes. As we just erupt into a dark sludgy mess i'm so sorry you know what we're just gonna cut it off here shouldn't we no yeah the buck stops here does it <laughs> yeah cool friends we love you yeah five stars review we love you see you next week yay bye bye, bye.